Good morning. As most of you know, we've been praying for this uh, vital merger process. Uh, this week, we've been praying specifically for God to raise up new leaders in our church in order to reach new people. I'd like to pray this morning together in this process if you join me. Lord, I ask you that if you would lead and guide us in this process of bringing uh, our ministries together in order to more effectively and more faithfully serve you in our community. Now we ask you, Lord, if you would do a work in our midst. We ask you, Father, that you would uh, raise up new people to serve, new people with a passion to serve in children's ministry with our youth, with our young adults. Lord, new, music mu boom, new musicians, new people with computer skills. God, draw them to your church. From your people who are gathered here around this screen right now, God, give us a passion to serve. Spark our faith that we would look for ways to get involved, not just attend. We would become willing to serve wherever you show us and not where we want. That, that you, Lord, would show us what needs to be done and, and we would take ownership and responsibility without waiting for someone to point it out to us. But Lord, make your ministry clear and equip us to get it done. We thank you, Lord, for calling, for your equipping in our lives. Lead us, guide us, use us. We love you. Amen. Amen. This coming week, we're going to be praying that, that God would make us into a transforming church in our, in our community. That, that Jesus calls us to, to make new disciples, but in the process, to transform the world. And that starts with transforming our church, our community, into a more loving, Christ-centered, grace-filled place. I pray that you'll join me this week in praying for this process as we seek God's will and direction for our churches. Well, we've all seen it in the last days in our in our nation. An African-American man died while in custody in Minneapolis. What made it shocking was the entire thing was captured on video. And then following a delay in arresting those responsible, riots had broken out all across the country. And that's where we are today. About the specific case, do we know what the officer did this? To? Was racial prejudice? No, we don't know that. At least we haven't seen evidence of it. Do we know that he knew that it would lead to uh, Mr. Floyd's death? No, we haven't seen that. Do we know what the what the officers involved were talking about. No, we don't know that. Further, I'm not saying that this excuses in any way the riots that are occurring around our nation. Absolutely not. While it may help us understand them, it doesn't justify destroying one person's liberty because George Floyd was killed. In fact, it, it honestly, it really doesn't make sense to me, but, but many of the protesters aren't thinking or acting logically. They're acting emotionally. The sad truth is that our nation has a history of of real racial prejudice. And if you're an African-American or Hispanic or, or someone else of a minority race, then it, it's hard not to see this event in view of the past prejudice. That's, that's completely fair. And any fair-minded person has to admit that we see things through the lens of our past. And if you're African-American or Hispanic or someone, the odds are pretty good that you have experienced racial prejudice in one form or another in just the last few days. So while the case out in Minnesota may, may be an may not be an incident of racism prejudice. It certainly appears so by those who have experienced it over the years. It seems to be just another instance of people of color getting treated in a manner far different from that of a white person might experience. So how's the church to respond? What does the Bible have to say to us in this moment? Well, I go to 1 John chapter 2 where it says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone else who hates his brother or sister in the dark is in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. 
that's been blind. You have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to show love to all our brothers and sisters, regardless of color. Paul described that in, in Galatians 3, 28, where he said, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. I mean, the Bible is clear that there is no room for racial prejudice. But even further, we are to call it out when we see it. We're to work and speak against it because prejudice is of all stripes is all about devaluing our brother, our sister. So what does, how does this connect with our study in Colossians? That's a good question. Remember, Paul was writing so that they would be mature in Christ to protect them from false teachers by reminding them of correct doctrine. We aren't entirely sure what the false teachers were doing, but, but we do know that they were seeking to divide the people, to make the church in Colossians different from the church, other churches. They were, they were trying to, to teach them that they were different, that they were better than the rest. Paul wanted them to see that actually there was no difference in them and the other churches because all were in Christ. He wanted the Colossians to grow up into this reality. We're going to talk about this maturity in just a moment. But first, I have to add a couple other things. All throughout the New Testament, the church is called to rise above racial prejudice. Even more, the church is to be a place where a person's race would, if anything, be a reason to show them even more abundant love. Believe it or not, the Bible has been used in the past to promote racial discrimination. The mistreatment of others, that is, people who are not like you and me. I struggle to get my head around what, how that happened when I think of the nation's story, our nation's stories and the stories of Jesus and, and the others, the Samaritan woman, the good Samaritan, the tax collector, are just a few of the ones that come to mind, but there are other, other stories out there of Jesus, right? If anything, God loved them in special ways. My point here is that the church, the followers of Jesus, we need to be known for stepping up and stepping out in times like this. Not looking to defend ourselves or our position, our perspective, but, but rather hearing the voice of the one in need and seeking to defend the oppressed. I know for most of us in, in white America, right, we get tired of hearing about racism. I mean, after all, we're not racist, many of us. I mean, most of us, for sure, are, are genuinely trying to see everyone as equal. And, and you're probably right. I mean, I'm not saying that you have a problem. What, what I am saying is that your brother or sister is telling us that they have a problem, and we are called to step in to help. So how can we do that? Well, I'll get to it in a minute, but this is just one of the current issues that the church desperately needs to step into, I believe. After the last death of an innocent African-American man, I was doing some reading and I came across an article, I believe it was by Tim Keller, I'm not sure, I haven't been able to relocate it, but it outlined four areas that the church is charged to speak into that will most likely offend everybody. Racial justice was one. Another one was the ministry with the poor. We have a food ministry. Don't, and many of you would say, absolutely we do, but that's really a crisis ministry. But what, what more could a, the church do to break the economic cycle that single-parent families get stuck in? What could the church do to help moms and dads get additional training so that they're better qualified for higher-paying jobs, better equipped to manage their household, deal with their kids, so on and so on? One thing the church does here is, is we, we staff a mentoring tutoring program at our elementary school. It's, it's made a huge impact on the kids involved. Let me give you a couple other areas that are from the other side politically, but equally biblical. First one is protection of the unborn. 
Scripture describes that the taking of innocent life as murder, and that is not something that a Christian should stand by and allow to happen. Life begins at conception. As Scripture says that God knew you before you were knitted together in your mother's womb. And the beginning of life, the beginning of you isn't determined by your ability to think, breathe, eat, scratch. Life me begins when God knows you. So if Scripture is true, then there is no way an abortion can be done in keeping with Scripture. In fact, Jesus teaches us to defend the weak, and there is no one weaker, more vulnerable than an unborn child. Then there's another hot-button topic for today, biblical sexuality. The Bible is pretty clear. It teaches that a man and a woman were made for each other to live in a committed, monogamous relationship through marriage, which God would, would bring about procreation, love, and support into our lives. But somewhere along the way, our culture decided that actually I could decide how I should live. I can use sexuality how I want it. I get to define the purpose of my sexuality, and you can't say anything about it. As a faithful Christian, I'm called to believe and live by what the Bible teaches, that sexuality is given to us to be enjoyed in the bounds of marriage with a spouse of the opposite sex. It's not given for my enjoyment, but ours. I'm free to enjoy sex with my wife, but only with my wife. That's the way God established it. If I'm not married, I don't get to change the limits of God's design. If I'm gay, I don't get to change what God's intent is. If I don't like it, I don't get to say that God didn't mean what God clearly said. Now, by this point, I have probably offended everyone who's listening and watching this. And if you're still here, you're, you're probably curious as to how this connects with our scripture for today. We aren't just to have an opinion on these issues. The church is a force for God, for good in the world. We represent Christ. As James, the brother of Jesus, as he wrote in James 2, 14, where he said, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him, he says. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things that they need for their body for the, for their, to be warm and filled. It says, so also faith by itself is dead. Faith without works is dead. We're called to act on our faith. Racial justice is one of the clear biblical values that the church is called to speak into, and yet they're seen as political. They're, they're seen as political because somewhere along the way, someone brought in some convincing arguments that, that made them such. That's what Paul speaks to in today's text. Years ago, I took some students to Oklahoma on a mission trip to the Cherokee Nation. And after a week of learning and working, we rented some tubes and went out to float down the, I believe it was the Spring River. Well, it rained pretty hard up north of us all week, but we didn't really think much about that. So when we got to the river, it was pretty high, actually very high. But, but we had rented these tubes for the day, and, the, and this was our last day in the country, so in we went. I stayed in the back to help kids along, and another couple of leaders went out front to, to lead them down the way. One of the kids and I decided to take this little side path on the river because it looked like it was flowing faster, and we could go through the woods, and we could maybe cut them off at the pass, right? Well, it was much faster, and it wasn't a main channel, and there were trees down everywhere. Soon we realized that we had gone the wrong way. And about that time, the kid I was with, Austin, he got caught in an undertow as the water was rushing under some trees that had fallen. His tube got jammed into some limbs, and he was getting pulled out of it under the trees. And the current was strong, and he was completely overpowered. It took two of us to, to pull him free. I mean, he was terrified, and frankly, so was I. We almost lost him that day. I mean, it was terrifying. All because we decided that there was a better way, a faster way, a way to get ahead 
That's how things often get us in trouble in the world. We decide that we have a better way, a faster way, a way to get ahead, and, and that's better than God's way that he has set out before us. And before you know it, the faith that we hold to is far different from the one which Jesus came to establish. And that's what Paul is writing to the Colossians about then, and I think he's trying to tell us today that, that as God's instrument, the church needs to maintain, develop a mature faith that he talks about in verse 28. You remember from last week? He's the one we proclaim, admonishing, teaching everybody with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This was his goal for the church in Colossae and every other church to be mature in faith. Paul knew, you see, that our problem wasn't with the politics. Our problem wasn't really with the false teachers or with the people in the pew or under the tent that we're in or who disagreed with us or the people in town who, who thought we were too liberal or too conservative. Paul said in Ephesians 6, verse 12, what our real problem was, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Paul understood that our struggle was a spiritual one, and our only defense was to be spiritually mature in Christ. So he says in chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, My goal then is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom we are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in the Spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm is your faith in Christ. Paul points out six areas of maturity in this passage that we must rely upon God to develop in our lives. Courage, unity, wisdom, discernment, discipline in Christ. The first three in verse two. My goal is that they be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, Christ. Encouraged in heart, he says. Paul wants us to be courageous so that we act. I mean, you don't need to, be, you don't need to have courage to, to sit at home and, and talk about problems. You don't need courage to get on social media and make memes about what ought to be done. No, you need courage to get up and do something. You need courage to do something when culture is sucking someone down the wrong path. Paul says a mature faith is a courageous faith. Courage to go against the crowd, to stand up to false teachers and our enemy. Courage to take risks, to enter into someone else's problem, to show them love and throw them a lifeline. Second, he says, being united, being knit together in love, unified. Our enemy has no better weapon than creating division in the church. That's the problem with gossip, complaining, the parking lot conversations where we talk about what he said and what she did. All of that is divisive. The work of Satan, I believe, the work of the church is hard. The last thing we need to do is make it harder by creating and making division out of our differences. That's what the Bible tells us again and again, to forgive, to serve, to love, to help all the one another's, right? Because we're able to be united, not divided. Third, the mark of spiritual, a spiritually mature church is one where God is godly wisdom. He says that they would have the full riches of complete understanding. It's one thing to know about God, but combine that with courage and unity and you have wisdom, the wisdom of Christ. Understanding this mystery, Paul seems to be speaking directly to the false teachers who are trying to say that there's something beyond Jesus, teaching that there was this mystery beyond 
that we must come to understand. Paul says Jesus is the mystery. He is the revelation. He, there's nothing more. Jesus is how we understand who God is. He is God in the flesh. So knowing how Jesus taught and how he acted in the world is telling us how God would have us to think and act in the world. Jesus is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. It's the, the back of it's like back in youth ministry, you know, when your youth leaders would ask a question and you weren't really listening, so you just shouted, Jesus, right? Actually, to discover that Jesus is the answer. The fourth mark of a mature church is discernment. It says in verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Discernment. The spiritually mature person recognizes fine-sounding arguments as Paul describes them. I think back to the, in the history of the church. How did we ever defend slavery? How did we ever defend the Crusades? Time and time again, the church has, has bought into fine-sounding arguments from Scripture, from, from others. And they've added to or subtracted from Scripture and they found themselves justifying behavior that was antithetical to God or rejecting the things of God. We seem... We see it again and again in our culture today. Churches who would be considered liberal stand up for LGBTQ rights, but, but not the unborn. They stand, we stand up for uh, biblical sexuality, but, but not the poor. We get deceived by fine-sounding arguments. The spiritual mature church is able to hold these ideas, knowing the potential to offend, so they do it in a loving way. It's hard to be offended by someone who's loving you, right? It's hard to be offended by someone showing love to and concern to others. That leads to the fifth mark of the spiritually mature church that he talks in verse 5. For though I am absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Disciplined. Paul was pleased that while the, he wasn't in their presence, the, the church in Colossae continued to live out their faith in a consistent manner. They weren't hit or miss. They, they were consistently chose to love one another. They consistently chose to put one another first. They're they're choosing courage, unity, wisdom, discernment. They, they aren't, these aren't ideas. These are practices for the church of Colossae. It's, it's how they live. It's, it's not a Sunday morning practice for them. It's actually how their lives are oriented, which leads to number six, in Christ. Like that old country song goes, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Well, in Paul's words, their faith is firm in Christ. This is where all the marks of the maturity are found in their foundation in Christ. Paul was pleased to hear of their faith. He knew They knew the gospel. They were living it out. There wasn't something that they were missing. Paul wanted them to understand that they were doing it. You know that feeling but that they were struggling with, though. There has to be more. I mean, I'm growing, I'm serving, I'm loving, I'm forgiving, I'm helping, I'm, I'm doing everything Jesus teaches. Well, I'm not doing really everything he teaches, but instead of the hard stuff, can I just have something different to study, something different to learn. I've heard this illustration before. It's like when we ask our kids to clean their room and while they're at home all day, right? We leave, go to work, and uh, we come back, and, and they run and meet us at the door. They give us a great big hug, and they welcome us. Hey, Dad, I loved you. I missed you. I wanted to clean my room so much. So, so as soon as you left, I got out the dictionary and wrote down the definition of every word you wrote down in the instructions. I translated it even in three different languages. I came up with a plan and even drew pictures. I, I estimated how many, how many calories I would burn and how much electricity it would take to actually clean my room. You say, well, that's great. Let's go see what you did. And the kid says, oh, well, I didn't get around to doing it yet. Courage, unity, wisdom, discernment, discipline. 
Let me ask you, which of these do you feel that you need, that your church needs the most? All right, I'm going to put that in the chat. Send me an email with the one you think your church needs the most. The fact that you see the, that may be God's way of asking you to do something about it. One thing is for sure, our community needs a church firmly established in Christ to make a difference here. We have people desperate for hope and direction all around us. And God is going to use a spiritually mature church to make that difference. That's Paul's desire for the church in Colossae. And that's God's desire for us and our call. Do you hear God calling you to it? I believe you do. I'd like to pray for us. Lord, you've put us here for a reason. You've given us a ministry here in this community to stand up, to step out, to speak into places and, and situations where we see it as contrary to your will and your word. Whether that be the, the politically liberal things or the politically conservative things. God, the, we need to stand for biblical standards. Create that in us, God. Create a desire to live for you. That takes for us to be firmly rooted in our faith in Christ. Help us to know you, to be bold enough to follow you. Just as that church in Colossae, Lord. Continue to remind us to, to always be aware of what's going on, that we can never relax, that we can never like coast and say, oh, I got this, because there's, there's always a temptation to get off track, to get taken down a path that we don't belong on. God, guard us from that path. Protect us in your word. Defend us from every enemy, Lord. Keep us mindful of the fact that, that the, the thing that's against us, the thing that's working against us, isn't our neighbor that drives us crazy. It's not, it's not the people in town. It's not the people from Pennsylvania. It's, it's, it's a spiritual issue. And we, as the people of God, need to be spiritually mature. Create that yearning within us, Lord. Do that today. If you're praying that prayer today, that you want to be used by God, then I invite you to just sort of respond. Use me. Use me. Uh, that's your proclamation. You know, you can stand up right now if you're at home. Just raise your hand and say, God, use me. I want to be put to work in your mission field. That's your promise to him. That's his, your declaration to him right now. I want to help you do that. So uh, let's look for ways to get in ministry together. Contact me. Let me know. Put me on the list. That's all you have to say. That we will look together for ways that we can be in ministry together. All right? Here in our community because that's where God put us. All right? So I invite you to join me for a benediction. And I don't have it up here, the words, but, uh, but maybe you know them from, from memory, right? Life is much more than an accident. Wherever I go, I believe God needs me there. He has a purpose for me, be, for me being there. That is Christ alive in me, wants to do something through me no matter where I am. I believe this, and I go in His grace and love and power. Amen. God bless you all.